Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. The battle for the answers continues in episode 88 as Graham McMillan and I answer your comic-related questions. Or at least we do after the first 10 minutes spent talking about Robin Gibb and the Bee Gees, Damon Albarn and Blur, and Elliot Smith as the hipster Tupac. But right after that, we do dig in to talk comics and discuss which Alan Moore universe we'd like to see continue, the recent first issues of Batman Incorporated, The Ravagers, and Superman Family Adventures, Eric Larson and the Savage Dragon, digital content and comics as a niche market, who gets a bigger free pass, Marvel or DC, Greg Rucka and Brian Bendis' discussion over at the Mulholland Books website, the degrees of freelancer success, Scott Kurtz and cynicism, Jim Lee and the role of creators in corporate comics, the Word Balloon and other podcasts, I talk about the Raid Redemption while Graham talks about Portland elections, web comics and print collections, Sheila Buff and Steve Rude, Bulletproof Coffin, and much, much more in a single two-hour sonic shot to the brain. We thank you for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoy. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! Oh, wow, you're loud. Oh, am I? See, sorry. <laughs> that was spectacular. Playing badly. <laughs> it was just like, I'm shouting, I'm yearning too! Oh, I'm deaf. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I probably should have leaned a little farther away from the microphone. Of I- course, you've got your big radio mic, don't you? You're, you're totally a broadcaster now. Yes, I am. Uh, let's see, I... Ooh, are we recording? We are recording! Okay, fabulous. Everything's good! I was going to start off um, with a rendition of To Love Somebody by the Bee Gees uh, in memorial for Robin Gibb, who, of course, died this past week. Yes. Uh, And then I remembered I couldn't sing. Sad thing about this, though, is I googled the lyrics because I could only get as far as the second line. Uh, And then the best part is... If you Google the lyrics, you find the lyrics for the Bee Gees version, you find the lyrics for Janis Joplin's version, which is exactly the same, except there's like, oh baby, every like third line. <laughs> I love that someone must have just transcribed her version. It's great. Yes, of course. Com- complete with errors. Like, that's not what they're saying. Uh, so you're saying that we will not be getting some lovely... You will um... not, because I really, I was honestly just going to go straight into it, and then... Mm-hmm. Just for you called, I completely lost my nerve. Why that song, just out of curiosity? Uh, that is, that might be one of my favorite Bee Gees songs. Uh, there's that. You see, here's the thing. I don't really like the Bee Gees. I mm-hmm. think they're great songwriters, but almost continually, I prefer cover versions of their songs by other people. For example, To Love Somebody, the Nina Simone version is astoundingly good. Hmm. I really have to look this one up, because I don't think that it's the... Um... <sighs> It's it's not coming to mind as to which song that it actually is. Let's put it that way. Uh, Nina Simone does a really good version of it, uh, mm-hmm. and bizarrely, "How Deep Is Your Love?" I really yes, but I really uh, like the take that version, the British boy band version from like 1993. Oh crap! <laughs> no, seriously, it's this weird quasi acoustic version that I really genuinely prefer. Um, but you know, I uh, staying alive. Everyone loves staying alive. It, it's sure. got the greatest opening line ever. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I've seen you. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I, I wrote yeah. about that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which is just—it's the funniest line. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't have called myself a massive Bee Gees fan. I love their fake Beatles song. Oh yes, yeah. I think what you've also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard the word? Which honestly sounds like—I mean, it sounds amazingly like the Beatles. It is a spectacular parody. Um, it is. 
And I liked the really early stuff back when they thought they were the Beatles. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I have to say it's one of those things where I was utterly unfamiliar with I Started a Joke until until there's a cover version of it in Zoolander, I think done by um, Jacob Dylan, of all people. And I was like, this song is awesome. And I was quite surprised that it was the Bee Gees. They they were really, really good songwriters. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they quite were. But of course, I mean, this is the shame. Neither of us can quite do the the requisite. Yeah, um, we, we, we can't, get, we can't get, to, Yeah, we can't yeah. get up there. Let's see. Um Robbie Williams did Robbie Williams did a version with the orb. Did the orb what? make it to America? No, they didn't, but unfortunately I was listening to it and or them through like what was like Basically, me holding a gun at my own head, being like, okay, you'll like this dance stuff. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, good luck starting with the orb. Um, the yeah. Wallflowers did the version on the Zoolander movie soundtrack. Oh, okay. Right, which is Jacob Dylan's band, right? So, I, uh, I and let's see. Faith No More did a version. Right, which was also kind of lovely, as I recall. And apparently Lulu and Richie Havens have done versions. I'm going to have to look into this. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Thanks, Wikipedia. Uh, okay. Well, hmm. all right. That is, uh, enough of our, our poignantly antiquated, uh, pop talk. Anyway, right. Robert, Robin Gibb. Rest in yes. peace, dude. Rest in peace, sir. Uh, and Diana Ross too. And who was the, th- who was the third? God, who was the third? It was just the other day. Uh, in, in the music field? Yeah. I feel I should know this one. Was it, what's his name? No, that was the football player. <laughs> yes, it was what's his name? <laughs> what's his name? I don't know. What's his name? What's his name? McThingy Bob, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. Or was Robin Gibb the third starting with um, MCA? Yes, that was That, that might right. have been exactly. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good oh, call. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, do you want some good music news, though? Bobby oh. Womack doesn't have cancer. Oh, thank God. So there you go. Was that was that something that it seemed like was a case? Oh yeah, like he, he was point? undergoing treatment for cancer. Oh okay. See, I wasn't following attention. I'm like, I just think it would be great if he's like, you know what? People have had so many negative music <laughs> exactly. announcements. I, I'm just going to come out and, and then I'll I'm just going to tell everyone I'm not dying any more than I was normally. And so. then I'll just shout a lot like I did in that gorilla song. Oh yeah, which you are still. Are you still obsessed with the fact that you're not obsessed with that? Uh, no, I, I've I've moved on because I've become obsessed with the Doctor D album that Damon Albarn put out, and like completely obsessed with Kate is sick of me playing the same songs over and over and over again. Oh, really? Interesting. I'm complete. There's two songs on it in particular that I am beyond obsessed with. Hey, here's a great connection, which admittedly, unfortunately, jumps over your opportunity to talk about Doctor D. No, I, no, we back. should talk about comics more. Talk about your connection. No, 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 no. This was about Damon Albarn because there was because you mentioned the Orb. Uh, you saw that report earlier, either today or yesterday, where William Orbit was saying that uh, William oh, th- that was hilarious. So William Orbit, I should explain for the listeners, seeing as you and I know what we're talking about, but no one else is. William Orbit essentially said, "Blur, we're recording a new album," and then Damon Albarn said, "Eh, fuck it." Right. And, and and even more, Orbit said, and this is one of those great, like, apparently for people who have a history, know the history of the band, an utterly unsurprising revelation that Alburn was being kind of a shit to the other band members, which I thought was very funny. That, yeah, it's like, you only have to read an interview with Alburn here one to, for that to be utterly unsurprising. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> or he'll just openly be like, yeah, they're not any good anymore. <laughs> wow, which is a shame because, again, Orbit was saying some pretty good things about them as the, the, the band. So are you kind of bummed that that looks like that might be off the table? I, I think it's going to keep – I think it's going to happen. Yes. I think it might not happen with Orbit now. <laughs> but, um, oh, dear. But I think, I think it's going to happen purely because – I mean, Oliburn said like three times this year, yeah, I'm not doing anything more with Blur. And then like two weeks later, yeah, we're recording an album. Followed by, we're recording a single. No, we're breaking up. No, we're going to do an album. <laughs> yeah, like at this point, something will happen. It might take seven million years. Right. But something will happen. Well, considering the fact that they're, yeah, they're supposedly still playing gigs. Uh, I guess you've got a shot at it. So, uh, okay. And if it doesn't, uh, it'll leak on the internet. You know what I mean? Like, the material <laughs> will come out. Wow. I guess I hadn't really looked at it. I, it makes me realize what a piker I am in the music fan department. You know? It's like, God bless. Like, I adore Tom Waits, but I, know, I realize that not only have I picked up, not picked up the latest album, but if, like, Tom Waits knocked on my door and offered to play a few selections, I'd be like... Yeah. Is this going to take long? Like, you know, uh, you're talking to someone who, after Elliot Smith died, has probably heard all of the leaked tracks from his sessions before he died, which is like three albums worth of shit. And when I say shit, I kind of mean shit. Yeah, but they shouldn't let that stop him. I mean, the thing that's really sad is that Elliot Smith never got the chance to become the hipster Tupac. You know what I mean? Oh, and he, just kept oh, having said, like he pretty much is. <laughs> is he, all, is he making cameos on other indie albums that no, I don't they know have about? Officially released a double album of new material, Ooh, and there okay. is maybe a, genuinely at least one more double album in there. Wow! Of yeah, but finished, that's not quite what I mean. Of finished but, songs. Yeah. Jesus. Okay, that's not good. He he was a prolific motherfucker. He really was. He really was. Which. Uh, uh, still, I would rather, much rather that he was still around, um, cherry picking his yeah, material. No, no, and, definitely. And that's yeah. the thing. You hear all the bootlegs and you're like, ah, he really did cherry pick. Mm-hmm. Like, he mm-hmm. really did. Because they're like, you know, and this was from this era of album. And you're like, yeah, he picked the better songs. Right. Right. Yeah. Always kind of a relief to see that that is happening. Um. Hmm. Well, congratulations, people who have tuned in after another promise that we would jump right into uh, ten minutes. If we start, if we do a question now, we're going to be probably faster than we've ever gotten the question. That is probably true, and we should because unfortunately, I have to jump off uh, on a relatively tight time frame. You have to jump off this week. What's what? Indeed. What? I know. Well, okay. So Millennium, which is the high end, one of the higher end uh, poshy vegetarian restaurants here in town mm-hmm. apparently has an annual uh quote unquote white trash cooking night um and it is this evening and i was a little late booking a table for myself but at 5 30 p.m i'm going to be enjoying like vegetarian cocktail wieners my friend uh and many other fine vegetarian um uh trashy treats oh i'm 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 jealous Yes. <laughs> I actually I'm jealous. That sounds like a lot of fun. It should be great. It should be great. So Okay, um, questions. Yes. Questions. Let's do it. Right, do I should get to that. All queued up. 
No, not even close. Are you kidding? I thought I was very proud of myself for managing to get this damn computer turned on <laughs> and working. Okay, Bad Wolf starts. Which book slash universe of Alan Moore's would you like to see continued? Mm-hmm. Graham, do you want to go? I, I, I well, I will say I actually, be like Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> that. That is definitely knee-slapping caliber jokes, my friend. That's well done. Uh, uh, I, my real answer would probably be – actually, in a surprise moment to me, probably Tom Strong, mm, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. has so much more potential than it had ever like revealed. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Tom Strong never got to what it could have been. Interesting. Oh, fascinating. For me, I would, and I mean, it varies from time to time. Um, I don't know if I would like the universe to continue, but I've always felt that there have been, that there is a larger storyline arc finale to to where Moore and Gaiman were going with Miracle Man, and I would have liked to have seen it get there and end. But the recent, what I thought was a relatively turdy finale to Supreme concocted by Eric Larson made me really sad that, um, that that was not that, that essentially more setup wasn't used as an opportunity for other people to come in and essentially tell the silver age Superman stories that they wanted to tell via the, the Supreme analog. You know, I'm, I'm very much disappointed that Larson was like, no, 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 no. It's going to be way better when I do this thing with stuff that's going to allow for a lot easier um, double page spreads of people being decapitated. So. Hey, not just that. In the upcoming issue, he's going to team up with, I think, one of Invincible's villains. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Really? really? I, yeah, I read that and I was like, oh, that that may be a, a solicit that's not efficient. No, it, the solicits are it for image. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, it's 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 the August book, the August issue. Mhm. Mhm. Which is just I honestly I saw that and I was just like, "Really? I don't know, that made me really sad." <sighs> well, that's because I was I was plenty saddened by that one issue. Uh I don't remember. I think I took the time to actually bitch about it when when the issue came out, but uh I I thought Eric Larson's follow-up uh, as much as I want to cut him slack as a person who seems like a nice enough guy, I, I thought that that was a kind of atrocious issue. I always have this thing with Larson where I I like him so much more in theory than I do in practice. Like mm-hmm. I was reading interviews about him talking about Savage Strike and then the, the dead heels Kirby and everything. And I was like, right. I, f- I feel like I would totally be into this book. And I read the book and I was like, ah, I could, you know possibly find this book unobjectionable do you know what i mean like i couldn't get right. beyond that i was like this right. this is not the worst yeah. thing i've ever read yeah and it's it's so sad i always feel like i should like it more larson's one of those guys i feel who the 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 gap between what he talks about what he's doing and what actually ends up on the page is striking to me because i mean he had the opportunity to hook me for life when he did that sort of amazing savage dragon like new world thing where he was like totally like ripped off the style formatting from marvel comics from the 70s and oh, he, pushing yeah, it he, like it was he was really being like i am doing kirby in the 70s 
Right. And I was like, that is everything I want to see. And I picked it up and that's, it was nothing like it. It was nothing like it. He was even talking about like, it's really awesome that I'm doing Dungeon Ones. And I'm like, I have no idea who any of these people are because I've only read one issue of your comic book previously. And everything is set up in uh, that whole light of, you know, sort of like, oh, back in the previous Earth, we were like this. But now in this Earth, we're like this. Yeah, that, you know? that was the real problem with it. It mm-hmm. was very much if you knew the characters, you'd be like, this is an amazing turnaround. And if you don't, yeah, you're pretty much like, why should I even be bothered about the cipher who has appeared? Yeah, exactly. Who's who's talking? Who's everyone's acting like? I should know what's different about them. Yeah, that was that was an, an unfortunate sequence. And for me, ever since then, I've kind of had this thing of like, I mean, I definitely know Larson's got his loyal fans, and as somebody who I think picked up like the first trade, I can kind of see it as kind of a um, hmm, kind of a fun, mindless punch 'em up that has certain. Arthurial has the freedom of having arthurial quirks to it as opposed to being forced into a, you know, work for hire, Plato-tastic kind of glob. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's still, for me, it's still not enough. It's still a long ways away from what I would think of as, you know, a, a book that is it, not only that is actually able to engage me, but like I said, where the what the person says that they're doing actually comes through on the page. So sorry, Eric. which reminds me, have you have you read Batman Incorporated number one yet? It is the one comic from this week that I've read. Oh, great! It's time for it's time for our weekly. What comic did we read this week? Uh, <laughs> hey, I read comic from next week. Oh well, screw you! What did you read from next week? Oh, I read the Ravagers, what? which is the Howard Mackey Ian Churchill spinner from Teen Titans. Oh, my God, Graham! Oh, Why, what did oh, you tra- do wrong? oh, trust me. Really? It's, it's it's everything you think it is, Jeff. No. Uh, really if ever true. a book was created seemingly with the express purpose of making Teen Titans seem contemporary. See, there we go. All right. Yeah, it's 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 horrible. My favorite thing about it though, mm-hmm. if you see the cover, it has the Ravagers uh and or like facing the the uh, reader as if like they're about, they were getting ready for a fight. Uh-huh. Fairchild, formerly of Gen 13 and Wildstorm Days, and then she was in Superboy for a while, right. um, is there. And she's wearing, uh, she's essentially wearing a bra and short pants, right? right. And Kate looks at this one again, and she's like, oh my god. Because <laughs> seriously, it's like, this woman exists for a cleavage shot. Right. Okay? Kate and I make jokes about, you know, this is pandering, it's hilarious, blah, blah, blah. In the comic, she is completely dressed the entire way through. Oh, no. Wow. Completely dressed the entire way through. She's wearing like a fucking jacket. <laughs> and on the cover, she's in her bra. See, that's just the. It's a shame because that really is. That's one of those like weird, like, you're sort of relieved that it's a bait and switch, but at the same time, you're like, really, guys? You thought that this was the bait that you should be thrown on the hook there? Um,. All right. So, and what else, Oswami Binkinada, can you tell us about our future? Uh, Superman Adventures, the new Teen. Uh, was it? It's not Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. What, what was the book called? Tiny Titans. Right. Uh, the new book by by the Tiny Titans guys is. Uh, if you like Tiny Titans, you'll like it, but not as much. 
Oh, what a shame. What a shame. Because Tiny Titans, which I enjoyed, was kind of on the threshold as it was for me. Yeah. So. No, the, this is pretty much like just that little bit more on the threshold, if that makes sense. Like, it's not bad. And I think everyone mm-hmm. who loves Tiny Titans, because people adored that book, Yeah, um, will be like, yeah, it's great. But it's not as good. And it's not as inventive. And it's not as funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that changes. Right. Uh, well, maybe. Maybe it'll take a little bit of time for them to loosen up, as opposed to somebody, some an editor going like, no, 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 this is Superman. Well, I also get the feeling that they might be doing that themselves. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's they, what they, I'm they might have, They might be joking because it's Superman. Um, but yeah, it's not great. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, that, that, no, I just got both those in the, the mail yesterday. And, well, see, this is the great thing, is people should really start mailing stuff to you like a week in advance because by the time we post it, it'll be utterly contemporary. Exactly. Yeah. It'll be coming out like tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, guys, there's two books you shouldn't buy tomorrow. <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> Remember to avoid at the stands, true believer. Uh, but Batman number one, if you did not pick up uh, no, last I, week, I, I got by it. which I mean this week. No, I'm talking to the readers. Keep up with me here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Batman Incorporated number one, which we both picked up this week, by which I mean last week, which you will hear next week, was Graham. I really liked it. I it was really, really fucking good, it. wasn't it? Yeah. Kind of shocking. I, I, it's I really strong. And I think it's part because, I don't know about you, but I think I'm remembering the first series as being worse than it actually was. Because um, issue eight was fucking atrocious. But yeah. the, the, the Double-sized finale issue, I thought, was actually really good. Eh, I wouldn't go with you there, in fact. I, what I, I remember the double-sized finale issue as being alternately okay, like okay with some lovely Cameron Stewart art and kind of shit with some amazingly ambitious ideas. Um, I just think that, unfortunately, and this is my feeling, maybe it will be disproven, like you said, if I sit down and reread them in the trade, is that Grant Morrison's just incredibly uneven on that first run of Batman Incorporated. Oh, no, no, but he is. I mean, there are some dogs, and the tone is all over the place. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't read like a series at all. Yeah. And what I think is really works in Batman Incorporated's favor is as opposed to the guy that was kind of pulled off the bench at the last minute to kind of pinch it and save everyone's asses as they were falling behind. Um, Chris Burnham with what I assume was, you know, a decent lead time to actually, you know, hit the deadlines turns in just an amazing piece of work here. I mean, oh, his, his art is spectacular. There are really, really amazing bits in that book. Yeah. There's, there's stuff in here that is just fucking stunning. And also like really, I was impressed with in, in the sense of uh, for a lot of people who had been kind of like, Oh yeah, you know, Burnham, he's, he's got a real, you know, quietly influence on his work and it's you know nice is like he really took some of the quite what i think of as distinctly quietly touches and really fucking runs with them in amazing ways um that some of his use of time laid out through the panels and the storytelling just fucking phenomenal he does some stuff with like little mini insert panels that reminds me of what what Quietly would do when Quietly was inspired, 
You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just some just some phenomenal storytelling in this issue. It's interesting that you said inspired because I think that in a weird way, Burnham is inspired by Batman in a way that Quietly never was. Mm. Quietly doesn't really care about superheroes, and you get the feeling, or at least I do, that Burnham really fucking enjoys doing Batman Incorporated. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Huh. That's funny. I... I hadn't necessarily... I don't think I would have necessarily put that together. I think there's definitely... um, I think there's a case to be made for it. Uh, I think it's just that Burnham had a tremendous amount of energy and talent beforehand, but he didn't, like I said, I felt like he'd really never had the time and he was really itching to show what he could do. And given the opportunity, he just goes to town taking, I think, every potentially, you know, sort of Baroque and meta element of, of Grant's storyline and just pushing it way farther than you would think which i kind of adored you know there's that amazing page where you see the map of gotham uh in the first panel with little insert panels showing where batman and robin are and where goat boy is from where he made his shot and then it cuts to a shot of goat boy fleeing the sequence um and you've got like this, you know, the second set of panels is basically a, um, you know, a, a two panel of him like folding up his gun and hopping over a roof. But they're set askew and they look like they're set as part of a longer narrative sequence. So there's weird comic books within comic books and schematics within diagrams happening, you know, all over the pages at each of this that uh, I'm not necessarily sure if Morrison had... Um, always thrown into the scripts, but certainly seeing it developed like this, it was it was pretty phenomenal. So, what did you think of Morrison's script? Okay, this is the part that's interesting. Um, I thought that for me, it was more or less okay up until the last four pages. Um, I don't know. I'm not necessarily sh- for sure how I feel. I, I think both Goat Boy and uh, Bat Cow, for example, seemed a little too, um, I don't know, clever, a little too fey or something. But especially the, by the time you get to the last three pages, um, I kind of feel like Grant Morrison's done this faint enough on Batman to where I was like, I believe none of this. You know, yeah, that I, was I the really, thing. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the climax, the, the cliffhanger, mm-hmm. it's really weird because you just know it's not true. Yeah. You know it's not true. You feel like the outs are being given to you really far in advance. And unless, you know, that is Morrison fucking with us and that is something that, that happened, like he's going to kill off Robin in this first issue and we're not going to find out about it for sure for another nine um i just it felt super super flat it was kind of like this is as close as morrison's got to he's he's been on the character long enough that i feel like you really know the formula for how he puts it together and it seems really obvious so um that was the part that i found kind of problematic it's a shame because uh in the goat boy narration at the start i thought it was Mm -hmm. really strong 
mm-hmm. I thought it was mm-hmm. a really, really strong Morrison. And I, I enjoyed Back Out. I, I, I thought that was so ludicrous. Right. That that really appealed. And I enjoyed the cuts to Leviathan, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The parts where it, you're seeing Leviathan be just evil. Oh, and yeah. I, I, I thought, thought that, those I thought were that was really, really well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the end is just one of those. I don't know. It, it really felt like I'm sure you're setting us up for something down the road because otherwise I can't even – I can't believe this is a cliffhanger. This is so clearly not what is happening and I can also see what you've done. Like I saw mm-hmm. the part where you set up the reveal next issue mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. seems so transparent that mm-hmm. it really was a – either you're completely slipping or you've set something up for the future. Right. Exactly. That that you're sort of disguising is something obvious. Because it seems so. so out of place with what seems such an incredibly tight issue up until that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, but yeah, up until those pages, I actually thought his stuff was brilliant. I also thought Morrison did a great job in this issue of making his scene transitions super surprising. You know, like in in the sense of a lot of them cut away before that you before you think they would i mean i especially liked that picture where like um that sequence where like Bano, uh batman socking a guy in a slaughterhouse and the um the the little bone saw that the guy is using like saws into a piece of meat and then it cuts like not even mid page but like in the top tier of panels to that meal being eaten at the leviathan dinner with all the weird characters at it it was like and then he cuts away from that sequence back to some other stuff and back to that sequence uh, at really unexpected times. So, it, it felt like the it felt like he was finally getting his idea of super compressed storytelling, which he's been talking about since Final Crisis. It felt like he was yes. finally getting right. Yeah, he was like information cut, information cut, information cut, mm-hmm. instead of just yeah. like line of dialogue, another line of dialogue, another line of dialogue, which can be yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this seems more concrete. And then it has the end, which you're just like, what? Yeah, where it almost seems like his attention lagged or his concentration failed. And suddenly it fell back on the stuff that he'd been doing very much very previously. That being said, I put it down and I was like, that was a tremendously satisfying comic in a way that surprised me and pleased me. Even despite. No, I, no, I agree. And I, I think it was a great first issue. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So, um, I would think that most wait what listeners will already be ahead of this tip. But if not, first issue of Batman Incorporated number one, really quite interesting. So, um, thumbs up, people. Yes. Okay. So now, uh, should I read Eric Roop's question? Yes, I think he should. I think I will. Uh, Eric Roop asks. People often talk about the slow movement of comics into the digital arena as a sign of strength of both the medium format and the DM. However, couldn't the lack of movement on the digital front simply mean that there isn't enough popular demand to overcome the entrenched interests in the market? In other words, comics are resistant to the larger cultural trends towards digital content because comics are by and large irrelevant to the culture at large. If so... Do you see this as a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's obviously a bad thing. 
Why? Where's where's the plus side of saying comics are relevant to the larger popular conversation, especially at a period when superheroes are the popular conversation? Well, yeah. I mean, this is kind of my my joke about Avengers, of course, which is the whole idea of like, who knew that the only people, the only thing keeping people from reading, you know, crappy punch 'em up superhero comics were the fact that they were in comic format, you know. After years of everyone insisting that it was just the opposite. Uh, that being said, I'm not sure that I agree with you, Graham. I think there is something to be said for the possibility of it being a good thing. Um, uh, okay, explain that to me. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to posit it and say that part of the problem with other forms of mass media is that as the ability to digitize and distribute them happened because of their popularity, it more or less utterly collapsed and hollowed out the distribution channel behind it. If you see what I'm saying. So, you know, in the case of music, which, you know, everyone loves and adores, we ended up in a situation where suddenly there were no more record shops. You know, you've got a few niche things, but nothing like the format of what we were looking at before. And that you're in the realm of seeing it now happen uh, with video stores. Um, because it was such an all-in, all-out thing where you had millions of people who wanted this thing, being able to get this thing even easier, everyone was able to make that trans transition automatically in a way that, you know, essentially it's like a giant ant insect body collapsing under its own weight. The, the stores behind it without anyone or anything to keep it filled out just crumbled, right? The plus, perhaps, of comics being uh, largely irrelevant to the culture at large is it means that there is a longer time within which the infrastructure, um, the bridging infrastructure between real world, mar the real world marketplace and the digital marketplace um, can allow, can happen slowly enough that it doesn't mean that the direct market is going to directly collapse as a consequence. If you see what I'm saying, because comics are such a niche market, the people who buy comics are addicted are are still interested uh, in the um, what would you call it mm, the trappings of being able to get your comics of being able to go to the comic store every Wednesday uh, being able to sit around and talk to other comic fans about what's going on directly in person that there's the possibility that the market, that the direct marketplace is going to have a better chance of surviving as the digital marketplace picks up more heat. I simultaneously agree with you and disagree with you. Okay. And here's why. Mm -hmm. In theory, I agree with you. In practice, right. I think that comics are such a niche market mm -hmm. that the digital is additive as opposed to replacing in the same right. way that it was with music or video. Because I think the casual consumer of comics has already gone. Right. It could be. Uh, it could be. I mean, I think that there's actually a good case to be made that the casual consumer of comics 
um, is more likely to consume things in a real world context than digitally because the casual consumer of comics is not actually interested in, you know, uh, superheroes, which is approximately 80% of the market that, that the people that the people who are kind of interested in comics who are casual consumers fit the rest of the marketplace very well in the sense of they are coming in, you know, two to three times a year to pick up the new Dan Klaus book, the new optic nerve or the new love and rockets. Um, and it would never occur to them in a way. I think even that if it was available digitally for them to, to necessarily do that. Um, okay. But yeah. again, it's, is that really a mainstream audience in that case, or is that not just a different niche audience? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it, 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 it is a, it's, it's a good question because we don't really have the measure of it. I mean, unfortunately you, when you're, when you are comparing periodicals to, um, you know, literary literature, you know, it's, it's two different markets, you know, you, you've got, you know, Batman's got 12 shots at the ring every month. I mean, every year, as well as, you know, whatever trades come out as, as a result, as opposed to, you know, you get one Dan Klaus book every two years, you know? So who can, you know, to me, it's kind of like you can't necessarily compare them. I guess you could actually make a really good case that that is a separate niche audience. Although I feel that that is the audience that, um, that, that grows and, and that we'll see in which we'll continue to see a lack, we'll continue to see movement, but I suspect that that movement isn't going to transfer easily to the digital medium. Okay. I, I guess my, I guess. Am I, I, am I still dodging or overlooking your, cause I think you're making a really good point. No, I just, I, I feel, I, like, I feel like, I feel like what you're saying is, I don't even know if it's dodging as much as it's just, not addressing and I don't think it has to address. I, mm-hmm. I just feel that I guess I feel that sure what you're saying is completely correct and appropriate. Mm-hmm. But that isn't, I don't know, I just feel that there are different audiences. I feel like the mainstream audience are a possible mainstream audience. The digital yes. audience that is there has so far been proven to be additive. It is, and we're very lucky that that's been. No, we are, but I, yeah. I think that the audience who is going to want their Dan Klaus as a, a physical product, mm-hmm. which you know, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not comfortable with digital things in the same way that you are. Um, right. I still feel like that's. I feel like that's not. I guess big enough to be a mainstream audience. Like that's just another mm-hmm. niche. And if there is a potential audience, a potential mainstream audience out there, it's bigger than either of those audiences. It's definitely bigger than the digital audience that exists right now. But I think there is a potential audience for serialized fiction in a digital format in the way that is not for print because the direct market as exists is not inviting. Yes, uh, I I agree with you, and yet I don't know, Graham. I I think I'm starting to inherently feel that comics are, um, you know, and are inherently a niche product. Yeah, 
yeah, that that until you get to a situation where and 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 we may see this actually turn around, um, but until you get a situation where kids are introduced to comics at a regular age at, at an early age and are taught to love them and then are given enough of a framework to be able to transition and grow up with them. Mm-hmm. We're, I, th- I think they're always going to be a niche product because I think we've seen a huge explosion uh, in the interest in, uh, of regular serialized entertainment over the last decade. And it has been in television and movies um, and not in comics. I feel like TV and movies have both benefited tremendously from being able to rip off uh the appeals that were previously the provenance of the direct marketplace um, directly, you know, and I, I feel that uh, I feel that now that um, all that's out there, you would think it would never be easier time than now to have people um, what, you know, start to be interested in comics or walking into comics. Um, but I'm not really sure that that's ever going know. to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I will say, and I will say that the one, I mean, since I'm flip-flopping all over the place on this topic, I will say that I think there is something to be said that if comics were almost more like British TV shows in in the sense that if you went into, you know, a, a, a comic book store and essentially you had nothing more than eight to 10 volumes of any series. And that was the complete series. I think it might be easier to get people to walk into a comic book store without trepidation and, or to open up comic book stores uh, throughout the country. But I I do feel that there's a lot of things where uh, the biggest successes that we've seen in the last decade in comics are very directly tied to the more shorter and concentrated the amount of available material is, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, so, I, I agree. Yeah. So I'll be kind of curious. It's one of the things that I'm fascinated because I know we've talked about this before. What's going to happen to the walking dead as it passes issue a hundred and the number of books on the shelves get bigger and broader. Well, I, I, you know? I think it's, I think it's at the tipping point. Do you not? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like when you get to a hundred issues and I mean, how many collections has got like 14, 15, See that that's like a I, crazy off-putting thing for me. Like I, I yeah, I, it, and I think for most people, but it's I think it's one of those weird things where um, the idea of eight books, no matter how many books size of those books those are, might seem like too much for somebody. But if you get to the situation where it's only two of those Walking Dead compendiums, you know, yeah, I don't know. You might be able to pull it off. You might be able to get to. Four of those, which is something, you know, crazy, like 180 some odd issues. Maybe, maybe not. I think we're really going to see as that rolls forward. We'll see. We will see, (laughs) Jeff Lester. Roy asks, it may be my perception, but it seems that Marvel, sorry, Marvel does a lot of crap, which they often get a pass for. Well, DC gets burned to the stake for every bad decision they make. Why the disparity? Is it just my perception? I'm going to interrupt. I think it is. Is it because what? there are... No! Oh, Graham. Okay, this is where you and I disagree. And we'll have... You think that Marvel gets more of a pass than DC? Uh, let's put it this way. I would say up until two years ago, 
Absolutely. Yeah, but I think, no. Well, but Graham, okay, admittedly he doesn't put it in the framework, but it's been a solid decade of, of Marvel getting away with serious shit. Serious, serious crap. And it's only really been in the last year that I feel like they are finally in the position where people aren't giving them the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? That that strikes me as a relatively recent turn of events. Don't you? Like up until the I, relaunch I, no, of the I, new 52. I would, no, I would say that Marvel started getting shit further back than just a couple of years ago. I think the Marvel really? started getting shit around Civil War time, which is significantly earlier. I, I think uh, that the amount of shit has grown. Mm, and maybe mm. my perception is skewed by the people I pay attention to. See, and that's it. I think you're talking about the specific group of people sort of who who are, uh, you know, either to put it, you know, generously outliers or less generously crankpots on the Internet, you know, like you and me, for example, who have been complaining about, you know, various aspects of what Marvel's done. But no, Marvel was still the golden boys, I think, up until, I don't know, maybe about midway through Secret Invasion, where suddenly people in larger masses started going. But even though Secret Invasion is how many years ago now? Secret Invasion is like five. Four, four years ago? Is it five? It's still so recent over like a very long chunk of time, I think. Maybe I'm. No, I, I also think that DC did not get as much shit as it sometimes deserved. I think DC is also. It, it depends who you're talking about. If you're talking about uh, sort of generic mass fan culture, Marvel has always been the favorite because they sell. Yes. If you're yeah. talking about the critics, I think the DC has often been given a, a, a pass because of the good things they've done. And so the, mm-hmm. the bad things they've done are, have been weighed against yeah but look look what it look what else they've done that is true in a way that doesn't for marvel i think marvel for the 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 i think it's it flips i think for from the critical standpoint i think that marvel really gets as much if not more shit or at least doesn't get given the benefit of the doubt enough as much as dc does wow i I genuinely do i think the dc only really started getting the shit kicked out of it Mm -hmm. uh when levitt's left Mm mm-hmm Man, I do not agree with you. I do not agree. Because, I mean, or rather, I think that you and I are looking at two different sides of the playing field. I'm looking very much from, you know, the area where, you know, from which Warren Ellis wrote around the time of the New 52, that classic line, like, you know, the retailers already have a girlfriend and the girlfriend is Marvel. And that, I think that has always been very very consistent it's been it's been a girlfriend that they occasionally have complained about but never i really don't think any in any amount like the level of marvel has only i really think in the last six to eight months started doing more than making just lip flapping noises uh, uh when it comes to various things like they were very good about promising knowing what noises to make, but they went through a two-year period where they were just making those noises, and for the most part, the majority of the market was not calling them on the fact that they weren't even following through, you know? 
And it honestly, I really don't think until like, to me, until the start of AVX, did you start seeing things in terms of them saying, no, we're really going to do this. And then they would really do it, you know, but considering, considering even it, was it just, is it just in this year that Marvel, two years that Marvel did the whole like, oh, well, those other guys are going to cut your, the comic, the cost on your comics, you know, and say that they're charging you less, but they're really charging you more. And we'd never do that. And then stopped answering inquiries when their comic count went down. Yeah, that was, that was two years ago. That was, that was yeah. around the time of uh, drawing the line at three at two ninety nine, right? Which was which exactly. was the start of uh, two thousand eleven. And I saw way more shit being given DC for their their like, yeah, we're cutting back to two ninety nine, but we're also cutting the story and we're giving you more ads than Marvel just flat out fucking lying, you know. Like I, I think everybody was like, "Oh, but it's Marvel. It likes to get drunk and slap you around." That's oh, what it I know. I I think that it still has that level to it. I think you still have people who are essentially like, "It's Marvel. What are you going to do?" Yes, but I don't think that necessarily means they're getting a free pass. If that makes sense, like I think it. I think <laughs> no, genuinely, I think that resigning <laughs> to I think resigning to something being a terrible business partner. <laughs> but them being the dominant market force uh-huh. it's I don't know I don't think that's necessarily giving a free pass in the same way that I think DC gets a free pass sometimes you're, you're right you're like they're getting a heavily discounted pass <laughs> yes yes they're getting a heavily discounted pass <laughs> okay I think we should finish the rest of Eric Roop's question just to see if there's something more that we can argue about uh, no it was, it was Roy's question uh, oh, sorry. It was Roy's question. Is it because there are more Marvel fanboys than DC fanboys that forgive and forget? Yes. yes. Is it because DC's done more dastardly a heinous crap than Marvel? No. no. Do the creators know more and has that trickled to the fans? Do the creators know more and has that trickled to the fans? I'm not sure what that means. Uh, exactly. I, think, I think what he's saying is, is that is the reason why DC gets given more crap is that there are more disgruntled creators telling tales out of school that essentially gets disseminated in a, in a sub Rosa way that has led people to come down heavy on DC, no matter what they say or do. I think, I think in a weird way that's happening sense. now. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's closer to happening now. I definitely think so too. Um, uh, I'm not although, sure. I'm not sure I'd say that historically. I, I, although maybe I don't know. like about Rucka leaving DC and that being a big deal. And then like, you know, two yeah. months later, he's like, I'm doing the Punisher. And everyone's kind of like, wait, I thought you left to do your own stuff. What? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, sadly that should be a beautiful segue for us to talk about the Bendis Rucka discussion over at Mulholland books website that we should definitely mention if, if only in case some of our listeners have missed it, but yeah, people, um, you should read it. Mulholland And that was, um, fascinating to me and not necessarily in a good way but i really enjoyed it at the same time oh god okay i totally i think you and i are simpatico on this yes there and just keep in mind it broke it into two parts a two-part yes candid discussion between brian michael bendis and greg rucka not just about rucka's upcoming book alpha but interestingly enough i i feel about the state of the comics industry the state of the perception of the comics industry and Brian uh, Michael Bendis' perception of the comic industry, which was my favorite part of it. Well, yeah, which was stunning to me. Um, I 
think I feel see this is what's problematic to me is I actually in the course of arguing with a uh, well-known comic book creator who would has to remain unnamed uh, was in the process of insisting to me that everyone's miserable at DC and everyone loves working at Marvel. And Wait, you, you un- were saying that or the, this person was saying that? This person was. And unsurprisingly, they are a person currently working at Marvel. So, And I was like, it was the unfortunate situation where I couldn't really call them on it because it's like, well, they would know better than me, but also their position at Marvel made it to me seem like they were not the sort of person where they would ever be able to say otherwise. You know what I mean? For various reasons. So I felt like my hands were kind of tied in terms of like, okay, I guess you're right. And this is, you know, not really the the topic that, um, uh, uh, you know, the main topic under discussion at that point. But it did make me feel like, well, maybe, yeah. I mean, I definitely have heard of some unbelievably shitty, dickish, and awful behavior happening at DC, uh, especially somehow built around their corporate culture and how they end up treating people. On the other hand, the stuff that I've heard about Marvel really sounds like no bed of roses until you've made it past, you know, a a certain level at which point suddenly, you know, you're treated exceptionally well. And And I I think for people who are paying attention to Marvel right now, let's call that the Cullen Bunn level. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, because Colin Bunn has been given, like, you know, piecemeal books, kind of mm-hmm. shitty books, kind of, you know, C-level books. Right. Uh, and then he did The Fearless for 12 weeks, or tw- uh, like six months, rather. All of a sudden, it's like, and now you're writing Venom. You're writing Captain right. America. Like, he's literally, you've seen yeah. him level up. Which and is Wolverine. Fascinating. Yeah, it's been a fascinating, oh, but he's on Wolverine for like three issues, and then Jeff Loeb. Oh, sorry, was, I thought he was the regular guy. Sorry about that. Oh, he might okay. be coming back after Jeff Loeb, but Jeff Loeb takes yeah. over the book after like three issues. Um, gotcha. But you, you could see him level up, which I thought was really, yes. it was funny because it was happening so fast. Because you can mm-hmm. look at uh, like Matt Fraction doing the same thing. He starts with co-writing Iron Fist, then he's solo writing Iron Fist, then he gets Iron Man. But Iron Man at that point is kind Ooh. of a sea level. Don't forget well, Punisher War Journal at that oh, point. Oh, true. Yeah, Punisher War Journal was his first, wasn't it? Yeah, it his, first was, his first and then solo. There was the or- yeah. And then there was the Order as well, mm-hmm. which was around exactly. the same time. So he, he yeah. starts with these essentially like low-level books. Yeah, and then you see him level up, and then you see him level up again. And it's right. it's funny for Colin Bunn for me because it's happened so fast this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's also interesting for me about that is compare that with Nick Spencer who was signed on and is immediately getting the big books and flames out in less than a year yeah to the point where a year. Nick Spencer mm-hmm. has no Marvel books solicited and hasn't had for the last couple of months and he's still a Marvel exclusive yeah 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 which means oof yeah no exactly you do see that um and I, like you said, there is that level at which suddenly you become somebody and you've got a lot of opportunities. Although, frankly, and I could be wrong, my personal theory about Marvel is is that the next level is being able to have the freedom and the comfort to say no. You know, like I think that that's the level at which you're suddenly being able to go, no, I'm going to do, you know, Two books for you guys and one book of my own, and that's what I, that's where I'm comfortable with, you know. Yeah. As opposed to being at the stage of like, well, I really don't want to write a fill-in arc on Secret Avengers and then follow that with two and a half issues 
on Wolverine and then maybe step in and write a Black Knight miniseries that ties into North Star's wedding. But okay, I got to keep going, you know? And it's like, oh, and all four of those books are going to be coming out on the same Wednesday? Well, awesome, you know? So, But then on Twitter, I can say that it's me day. <laughs> it's me day. Hey, no, everybody. I mean, have you not noticed that? Like, people, that's, that'll be the way they'll try and do it. Like, well, of course, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, lots yeah. of me in stores today. And right. I always kind of wonder if they're like, ah, fuck, I wish they could have just spaced them out a week. <laughs> You hope that the creator thinks that because I have seen a couple of creators there and it's been really hard not to be like, uh, dude, it is not necessarily that awesome that you've got four books on the week, uh, on the stands that week because it means that somebody is really maybe going to pick up two. Yeah, you know? it means that someone's going to have to pick between them. Yeah, as opposed to coming back next week to pick up something else. So, uh, get back to Mulholland books thing you were saying before we completely uh, say oh god Jesus I don't even know if I'm going to I I think I was actually talking about comfort levels as to whether people were actually happy or not but we should move into the Mulholland books talk because I found it fascinating uh, in a way that the guy who's had three beers for lunch can't remember anymore uh, that Rucka and Bendis were very much talking as if they had the same views on, I guess, the industry. And I kind of felt like that necessarily, I was curious as to whether that was actually true. Let's put it that way. What came out of that interview for me was that, um, I don't know if they have the same views in the industry, but I think they have very different views about almost everything else, Mm -hmm. including the craft and including what success is. Well, interestingly enough, uh, that was the one where I really felt like um, where Bendis was trying really hard to push the idea that their level of approach to the craft was very similar. And didn't you think? I, uh, maybe if I didn't believe it. <laughs> I don't okay, know. Like, well. I, 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 my f- reaction to the first part was genuinely Bendis is horrifically outclassed by Rucka. And this mm. is a conversation. And mm-hmm. also, if this is what Bendis has wanted from comics journalism, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Why can't I get to it just through the Mulholland book site? Because the, their, their site is, is horrendous. Um, if anyone is looking for it, if you go to the front page, you'll have to scroll down for posts, posts on May 21st and May 22nd. And it's called Brian Michael Bendis interviews Greg Rucka. And then Brian Michael ben- Bendis interviews Greg Rucka part two. Part two, yeah. And I guess it looks like it was maybe tagged under comic books and guest posts if you want to try hunting it up on the side there. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, I don't know. I just, I found it seemed... It really felt to me like Greg Rocco was coming across really well and Brian Michael Bendis was coming across as like, yeah, exactly what you were saying. And what about... And then he'd say something like completely different mm-hmm. and then Rocco would ignore it. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, if, if I, like, do, do you have a specific weird, example of it? Or, I actually, um... I've, no, I've tried to look now, but I, I just remember this being really clear yesterday when I was reading it. Then I can't find anything right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's annoying. That's really frustrating. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally making it up. Maybe I, I, it's my own biases coming in. I don't know. I just in the second part when um, Bendis is also pretty much like I can write Ultimate Spider-Man for as long as I, you know, as long as I want. I think this is awesome because I've really made a difference. 
Right. And then Rucker's like, I've written the book. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just felt really weird. It felt like Bendis was like, look at me. I'm writing Spider-Man. I made it. And then mm-hmm. Rucker mm-hmm. was like, yeah, I, I've written a book. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it felt like a really weird thing. Well, I I think I think the I thing don't know that... if Rucker was trying to stay on target and he's like I'm promoting Alpha I'm promoting Alpha I'm promoting Alpha but there well, just no, seemed I, a really weird thing to say well it because it, it was because let's face it as as an interviewer question goes it's a fucking stupid one you know what I mean like Greg Rucka is a guy who's written comics and you're trying to find common ground with him as an interviewer, right? And one of the things that Bendis was talking about was the challenges of being able to keep things fresh. And his way of saying, I'm keeping things fresh, is I brought in a whole new Spider-Man on Ultimate Spider-Man after I'd written 150 issues of the old Spider-Man, of the old Ultimate Spider-Man. You know what I mean? And Rucka, yeah, did do that thing of like... I think a person needs to be able to spectacularly fail if they're going to succeed. And then he went in and talked about his book, which I think was really sensible because there's no way like Bendis, like even if Rucka wanted to say like, yeah, I felt that way after 20 issues of detective comics that they then cut me for to bring in Jim Lee. And I went home and cried for four hours. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, (laughs) It's a very weird interview from that regard because Bendis is he 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 has this very easy way of what seems like a very gracious way of saying, "Hey, you and I are just the same in a way that has a level of disingenuousness to it." Um whether at a conscious or unconscious level. Now, I don't know. These guys could totally be hanging out all the time in Portland and shooting hoops and eating meals together, you really get the sense from them talking that that is not necessarily altogether the case. Um, but it just, it, it was, it was a very, it's, it's one of those conversations that what I liked about it was it came off a bit differently. I think because Bendis was like, Oh, this is not necessarily a conversation that's happening on a comic book site. Um, but also for the degrees to which he was asking Rucka things in ways that um, seemed, again, seemed to be ultra considerate and inclusive, but in a way were weirdly bl- blinded and um, quasi dickish, if not, although I don't think at any intentional level. No, I, 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 that's the thing. I think. I think this is true of Bendis in general. I don't think he mm-hmm. tries to be a dick. That's not mm-hmm. true. Sometimes he does, but I think sometimes yes. even when no, I think even <laughs> when he tries to be a dick, mm-hmm. he's trying to be a dick in a funny way as opposed to a mean way. But I oh, think yeah. that when I think that he can nonetheless really be a dick. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, he's an accidental dick sometimes, which is the kind accidental of accidental. No, dick. but it, do you know what I mean? Like because he can come across really badly and really offensively mm-hmm. but i never i never truly get a maliciousness from him i think mm-hmm. i think when you're talking about him being inclusive i think that's true i think the Bendis really is like i've got this great job you know you guys and i and me we're into the same things there's totally common ground between us 
I think mm-hmm. that's the way he approaches these things. But I think that mm-hmm. despite that, sometimes he can just come across terribly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what I want to ask is, what do you think the ratio of dickishness to comfortable conversation was in that interview? Because I think that you're, I think that we'd be flipped. Because I think that I think for some reason he comes across much worse than you do in this conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I actually thought that it struck me as relatively amiable and amicable. So I would have, and maybe Rucka's just better at spinning stuff in a way that I wouldn't recognize. So I would have thought that the the comfort to dickish level would have been like seventy percent to thirty. Oh, I don't, I don't mean in the sense of like it was uncomfortable for Rucka. Right. I mean in the sense of like. Uh, I don't know. Coming across well as opposed to coming across badly. Oh, coming across well as opposed to coming across badly. Yeah, I think it's. I guess that's the level that I'd set it at seventy to thirty. Okay. And what do you think? If if it's not fifty fifty, I think I might even give it to the dickishness. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. There, there just seems. I don't know. There just seems this weird. I don't know. This interest in what Rock is actually saying, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he he's like Bendis has his talking points and he's prepared and he's researched. Yes. And Rock is saying these things, and instead of actually engaging in what Rock is saying, mm-hmm. Bendis then go back to what he knows. And yeah. what and what he knows is this it's just like so disconnected to what Ruck is saying mm-hmm. at times mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it feels like he's not even listening. Mm. That, that like, it, like it, it reads to me in many places like an emailed interview, but it's obviously not. Right. Actually, it does. It, I had a few points where I, I was wondering whether it was an email interview as well um, or, or if somehow it had actually been, you know, chopped up after that. Because, yeah, I do think that that. Because there's just, just this weird stuff. parts where there's just like such a schism between what's being said, and it's really interesting, and you know, could lead on to all these different directions. The other thing that might be happening, of course, is it might be a really long conversation, and some editors chop the fuck out. That could be as well, and and that would make sense to me, I think, for 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 some of the jumps. Um, but that being said, uh, there was a lot of how do I put this. One of the things that is fascinating to there's a it's very very briefly touched on when Rucka talks about the level of research that he does to be able to throw it away, you know that that essentially he's not interested in reading books where the character you know where the narrator spends half a page you know uh, explaining the type of gun that the person's shooting that he's more interested in making sure that he's got the right detail at the right time, which is a great way to put it. And I don't remember what Bendis's follow-up was. And I, I remember thinking it might've been a little bit like Bendis is one of those dudes who may not be the perfect follow-up to this because he's done so little of what Rucka's done. Like, even though they've worked in the same field for the same amount of time, in some ways it might make more sense to have someone like Warren Ellis uh, who has written comics, but has also written, you know, at this point, two novels and has also has, has not done the 170 issues of the biggest selling book for Marvel for like 10 years, you know, 
to kind of understand more the waters that that Rucka is uh, swimming in, I suppose. Mm-hmm. While looking yeah. for that, I actually came across my favorite part of the entire interview in terms of like the weird. I don't know if it's an edit or just weird dickishness, but at the part where in the first part where Rocket is talking about the intolerance in the country and paralleling what's happening with Greece with what's happening in Ger- with what happened in Germany before the First World War. Oh and, and, yeah, mm-hmm. and he goes into this big thing, mm-hmm. and Bendis goes, "There's the biggest difference between us." You said it right there. You're watching an episode of Cosmos, and I was watching the April Fool's episode of iCarly. I don't know. Right. There's something about that line. Mm-hmm. It just feels so like I can't contribute to this, so I'm going to make a snarky joke. I think I that was actually that. one of his better saves in a way, because at least I was kind of like, at least he was kind of admitting that that wasn't the level that he was working at. You know what I mean? And I thought that was a little bit better because I, I actually did track down that minute where, um, you know, where Rucka is talking about Alpha and talking about like, you know. The, the very difficult changes that he made for himself. And he said, for my research purposes, I want to know what weapons and technology and devices people are using, but it really is far less important to me than the sh- than show the reader that I know it, if that makes sense. And I get kind of offended, honestly, when I'm reading books and they spend passages describing in loving detail the manufacturer used and the muzzle speed of an HKMP5, say, I don't need to know that. I just need to know they have some machine guns. And then Bendis says, you do the research to make yourself feel better about what you're writing. And then his, you know, his later follow-up is, I just want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? I may not put any of the book, none of it, but I know that I'm right. And then and Rucka goes on to say, and I found, as an aside, good research leads to more story because you discover things. Oh, I didn't know I could do there. I didn't know I could work that way. And he talks about this whole secret level of Bravo stuff. That's this whole fascinating idea of a, a, a Bravo department of essentially female operatives. And Bendis goes like, in doing research, I look for that one nugget that says that I'm right to tell this story. Something can be a little tiny thing and you go, I'm right. I should do that. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I was, he just doesn't. And then he falls back on a John Cleese thing. I'm impressed by the number of times that, that Bendis goes to the well of what other media have said you know what i mean like he's a guy i've god help me i feel like bendis is the sort of guy who spends a who who reads books on entertainment and watches a lot of movies and that's his go-to reference point you know what i mean so he doesn't really necessarily that's his idea of doing research and it's kind of it's kind of it comes up really flat compared to rucka don't you think yeah but i uh... Here's where I defend Bendis. That's fine for him. The problem mm-hmm. is that the problem is when he's having that particular conversation with Rucka, all of a mm-hmm. sudden he seems very uh, insincere or very shallow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you could also argue that what Rucka, the level of research Rucka does for a project, if he was writing Ultimate Spider-Man, might be too much research. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just different types of writing. I think that what Bendis. Mm-hmm does in terms mm-hmm. of his method is fine for what he does in terms sure. of output. Right, right, right. Well, and I mean, the thing that's, you know, is ironic is, is that as much as I respect Rucka, if we're just doing a sheer count by count of the number of comics that I've enjoyed more between the two authors, it's probably going to fall on Bendis, you know, before it kind of all goes off the rails horribly wrong. Um, One day he says Bendis is going to book and it will completely knock you on your ass. 
I, I'm, I genuinely think that at some point Bendis is going to do something that everyone would be like, "What the fuck? Where did that come from?" Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily doubt that. Although I think, I, I think there was a, a line where someone said, you know, about writing is like the problem with shortcuts is once you're aware that it's there, you can never forget it. You know, and that unfortunately is the the problem with writing a lot of material on a quick turnaround uh, for commercial ends is you learn those shortcuts, they can save time. Sometimes you feel like messing it up a little bit, but it's still basically, um, you know, to get all Bendis-like and pull, pull a reference from popular literature, it's a, it's a little bit like the list of options that the Player King gives Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, we can do it on the bed or we can show them doing it on a chair or we can show them doing it, you know, at, you know, on the bed and the chair at the same time. You know, uh, I think there's every possibility that Bendis will break out one thing uh, that might kind of knock me out. The thing that's a shame for me is, is I think that those are embers from a dying flame, you know, at this point. And he's somebody who put himself in a situation to to work everything out that would have surprised me a while ago. I have, for absolutely no reason that I can put my finger on whatsoever, mm-hmm. I have the hope that Bendis will, after he has his shitty year this year, mm-hmm. kind of drop out of sight for a while and then come back and do something great. Yeah. I, 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 what I, like, if that happens, that's happening like three or four years from now. Sure. I don't know. That would be great. I think uh, I think it's it can be hard to do that when your mortgage relies on it. Yeah, no, exactly. Who knows? Maybe maybe powers will get greenlit after all. Not greenlit, but on the air after all, and it'll be a massive success, and they'll buy on sure. time. Well, yeah, and I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, I don't know who I was talking about this with, but around the time of the the Writers Guild strike a few years back, one of the things that the people in the Writers Guild were arguing about that I think was really kind of essential is they were like. You know, the reason why we have the terms that are set up in place, because it was this whole big deal about residuals and trying to get money on um, uh, digital plays and things like that, is they were like, you know, we, it's important to keep the livelihood, essentially that creators need a middle class. If you can have a middle class existence, you can have because the example that they were using is David Chase. You know, David Chase's The Sopranos really changed the game for everyone. What was super important was that he was able, thanks to the level of pay for the work involved, that he was able to stay in the game for 20 years to be able to change it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um and there are times, I, this is the thing, I don't know what kind of money that Bendis gets paid and what his standard of living is. But there is part of me that's frustrated that he isn't, that he didn't step away from the slot machine while it was still running hot and high for him um, and take the time to figure out what he was going to do next, you know. As opposed to, well, the thing that I'm doing next is, ta-da, a new Avengers book. But it's going to be different because, ta-da, Mark Bagley's going to be drawing it. You know? I don't know. I'm moving on because we're only two questions. 
And I'm being, uh, once again, kind of super cynical and dark. So I No, I, I, you're not being cynical. Cynical is asking Marvel to give Jack Kirby some money. Come on. We learned that this oh, week, remember? beautiful segue. Yes. Uh, Moose and Squirrel. I'm, I'm not even going to talk about Scott Kurtz because that was just bullshit right. on an amazing yeah. level. Mr. That Squirrel being said, says, <laughs> we should at least point the listeners. I don't I agree with you. I'm not going to make trouble on this. But if listeners if you don't know what we're talking about, Scott Kurtz of pvponline.com posted something on his blog back on was it Monday or Tuesday? It was Monday. It was, it was, okay. yeah, it was definitely Monday. Monday was the day where I was literally having nervous breakdown over something I I needed to write for the end of that day. Uh wow. and I, I I got sucked in and I, I was like, I've got to stop reading Twitter. I've got to stop like posting yeah. snarky tweets about this. I have to write the story. I can't write the story. I'll post a snarky tweet. And I got in like a feedback loop. It was definitely oh, Monday. not good. On Monday okay. on PVP online. Yes. Go hunt up the blog post, cycle through however you can, because I don't know how his site works anymore. He's got a post about Avengers and Jack Kirby and work for hire in the state of the comics market that is – uh, jaw-dropping. Lady. Has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, it yeah. really does. So, anyway, so Moose and Squirrel. Reverse Aquaman lives in the sky and talks to birds, but only Jeff Johns thinks he's cool. It wasn't even. See, a that wasn't a question. Yeah, see, that was his replying to the other things. Yeah, so, Graham, yeah. you've got to weed these things out. What yeah. you read, Tim's? As far as Marvel and DC go, are comics moving more towards celebrity creators or cartoon TV show on paper machine operators? In your opinion, I'm not sure I understand what the latter is, but. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I think that I, I'm uh, for the latter anyway because I think they're moving away from celebrity creators. Yeah, I, I it definitely looks like what they are doing now is the former. What they want in a perfect world is the former in service to the latter, aka Jeff Johns. Yeah, so. I think what DC ideally would love if it could go mm-hmm. back to the Silver Age and just change people and no one would ever know. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think yeah. they could somehow go back to a format where it didn't matter who was writing and drawing Superman that month mm-hmm. because it always looked and read the same. I think they would right. be incredibly happy. Yeah, that is true. Actually, that is very scary. But I absolutely think that you're right, that everyone's like, if they had the opportunity again and could bring back the Might Mort Weisinger era, um, they would totally happily do it. And that's sad and frustrating. Um, Marvel... Is Marvel going that way? I don't know. Because I mean, you've got AVX, which is very much built on making creators a, a, into celebrity. Well, it's, it's involved – see, but this is the thing. It's, in, it's making creators into celebrities, but that's to wallpaper over the fact that the story ideas are coming out of the sales and marketing departments and the celebrities are being made to execute them. Oh, did you see that terrible, terrible quote from Jim Lee in Blog at Newsarama that I put today? Yes. <laughs> I quote, did, only the, because you pointed it, yeah. The quote, people, is Jim Lee was in the middle of an interview and he said, some of the time story ideas come from creators. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, that made me so sad. Some of the time. I was yeah. just like, really? Some of the time the story ideas come from the creators? At what point like, did that not seem like a good thing to say in your brain? Yeah. The thing that's great, actually, that was that didn't make me nearly as sad as your first comment where somebody was like, Doug, Graham, hello. God, it's been like that forever. And I'm like, no, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, wow, the the you know, we're also 
some of us anyway, are so fast to accept the new crappy status quo as like, come on, stop claiming about it for God's sakes. Like, <laughs> but that's, you know. uh, oh my God, we're going to get back to Scott Kurtz again because it completely goes back to what Scott Kurtz was saying because what Scott Kurtz's point was basically this. Mm-hmm. It is cynical to not accept the status quo. Mm-hmm. It is somehow less cynical to be a realist and accept shitty status quos because that's the way things are. Which, you know, if nothing else suggests, he does not know what the meaning of the word cynicism is. <laughs> um, but, but there is this, this school of, you know, that's the way things are. You can't change the system. Just move on. Which is, I don't know, I find breathtaking. I really do. Like, it's one thing to say that's the way the system is and I'm going to work within the system to try and change it. Right. Or that's the this and I don't like it, but I'm going to work within it because it's paying my bills or whatever. It's enough sure. to say that's the way the system is. Move on. Yeah. Well, because he's sort of saying that's the way the system was. That's not how it is anymore. And I, I almost can see someone in Kurtz's position being that deliberately obstinately naive about the situation considering he really does. I mean, this is a guy who's done very little work for higher work and the stuff that he's done is on his own and he doesn't have to rely on the big companies and he's made a living at it. So it's very easy for him. But the thing that's fascinating is fast on the heels of what has been a very strong and sustained set of arguments for why people should enter the web comics marketplace and make their own name and their own brand um, for him to basically turn around and be like, guys, it's not a big deal because that was a long time ago is, is atrocious, you know, because it really is this appeal to the, the idea is, is that, Again, the weird definition that having someone point out what the situation is like today is cynical. And it's like, no, objecting in the way that you're doing to it is cynical. And if you want to admit that, that's one thing. But but it, it was. It was an unbelievably crappy and short-sighted thing, I think. So, um so yeah, I think that we – and the thing that is scary is, is that I think that the marketplace – if it could, would happily turn the clock back to that situation even more so than it is now. People are like, oh, yeah, but that's not the way that it is anymore when it's more like it than not. The companies, if they had their way, would happily roll things back. Not necessarily happily. They would make a lot of noises about it, about how terrible it would be. But the fact is, it would be tremendously easier for them, you know? And... And because of that, there's always the temptation to do it. If you don't have people who sit there, I mean, the fact that Jim Lee is making that comment about stories and creators, like how great it is that they occasionally, the story ideas come from the people making it, really does to me, it retroactively makes image look bad. You know what I mean? Because it really does. It's hard to believe that somebody who ever, even for one ounce, believed in creator rights could get to a position where they say that, but maybe that's the the grand drama that life is teaching us, I guess. <laughs> RF, do you want me to do or do you want you to do? 
You know, I think RF, you have to be careful. I think he's, oh, no. And then on to my question. Okay, let me read this. Yeah, yeah, sorry. For whatever reason, the only two comic book type podcasts I listen to with any regularity are this one and Word Balloon. Fresh Air with Terry Gross doesn't count, sadly. On the one hand, there's you guys who, let's face it, are pretty rough on writers, artists, editors, and other comics critics, journalists, the internet, and the state of comics in general. (laughs) And with good reason. You are, Oh, God, RF, I'm so sorry. It's funny. We never actually think of ourselves that way until people point it out. You are, after all, savage. It's fun and provocative, and the theme song is hilarious to me. Victory! Yes. On the other hand, there's John Cienteres. I don't know. Centris. Centris. Who is pretty upbeat and seems to maintain warm relationships with virtually all his interview subjects without, I'd argue, giving off a sycophantic Billy Bush vibe. He's a smart interviewer and knows his pop culture stuff, and his theme songs are hilarious to me. Both programs are very enjoyable and provide a nice balance for my listening pleasure. While I recognize the two have entirely different aims and approaches, it'd be interesting to hear Mr. Lester and Mr. McMillan give their thoughts on the Word Balloon podcast and comics-related podcasts in general. And Graham, go for this. Go. Okay. Um, I, I like Word Balloon depending on who the guest is. I think that John can be a really good host, but sometimes I think he can come off as sycophantic. I think he backs off of confrontation, which Mm -hmm. is fine for the type of show it is. Mm -hmm. But considering the level of guests he gets, sometimes Mm -hmm. it would be nice to hear him press a little more. Mm -hmm. Um. But I think, I mean, again, like every time he's got Bendis on, I, I make a point of listening. I think the two of them are really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends on who his guest is. If it's not someone who I'm not already interested in, though, I never get anything that makes me interested in them. Because it's a certain hmm. level of of conversation. Right. Um, he doesn't really dig deep, which is mm-hmm. both his appeal and his drawback for me. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Jeff, you don't, you don't like him, do you? I, to be fair, I only listened to that Matt Fraction interview and I, I think I was only able to make it like an hour and a half into the three hour interview or something. Uh, I kind of think that he, he kind of turned me off right off the bat, uh, because. Is it cause yes. he's so radio? He's pretty goddamn radio. He's pretty goddamn radio. Uh, and, you know, in theory, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. I think, frankly, if he had, you know, the radio man's pipes and was doing something differently than what he was doing, but the whole package just struck me as a different level of. Uh, I'm not, I don't really feel like, I don't feel like most of these people need another PR venue. You know what I mean? Even if it's one where you get to hear interesting stuff about them, I'm kind of at a level of, uh, of just being a little burnt out on it. Uh, I think across the board, you know, I'm, I, I miss the days back in the seventies or eighties where it seemed like interviews with people meant that you would get, there would be the occasional chance of more ferocious contentiousness, you know? Um, I know that after a while, the whole morally safer gotcha approach on 60 Minutes was just as fake and as rigged uh, as as the genuine puff piece. But 
I, I just feel like without a balance, and again, this is the thing, I haven't listened to, to Word Balloon, but it struck me as there, every cow on it seemed, seemed sacred, you know? And I don't, ultimately for me, I just think that it's far better for people who listen or read uh, a pundit or a podcaster or a reviewer to, kn- to know what their biases are. You know, and I think it's harder to come out, figure out what a person's biases are when they're pretty much sound like they're in favor of everything and they're not well, really going to hit any hard questions on it. You know? Well, this is actually something that's a problem for me with with Workbillin is if you listen to enough of them, you find out where the biases are. But if he's talking mm-hmm. to the person who is creating something that he doesn't like, he'll mm-hmm. never say that. Right. And I think right. that's that's ultimately a problem because he will mm-hmm. snark on comics when he's talking to someone else, and then if he's mm-hmm. talking to the person who's written that, and he's never like he's never mean snarking. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's always right. good natured snarking, right. but it's snarking nonetheless. And then he'll talk to the person who wrote that, and he'll be like, "Yeah, what you're doing is really interesting," and you kind of want him to be like, "I, you know, it's not working for me. Right. I love I love that it's in the top of the charts, but." Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. but I think also, that's just not the show he wants to do. Right. And so it feels completely pointless for me to be like, ask Carter questions, damn it. If he's like, <laughs> no, my entire thing is that I don't. My entire thing is that it's a comfortable conversation where creators feel safe. Right. Yeah. And I, 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 think, I... I think there's value to that. It's just, yeah. it's not necessarily what I would want to hear. Right. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I think that ultimately there's I I have to admit unfortunately this is why I was hoping that we you would handle the majority of the heavy lifting on this. <laughs> because not only have you listened heard more of his podcasts, but of course you've listened to more podcasts generally and so I feel like you would be able to give shout outs to people. Um, oh, I I I can if unless mm-hmm. you are you heading towards something where you're going to say like you hate podcasts? No, 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 no. I'm just saying that I just don't I don't listen to them much. I'm trying to get to the point where I listen to them more. It's not that I uh, hate them. But. I, I, the podcasts I prefer are the podcasts where the person has a very particular point of view. Right. Um, so like House Astonish, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, Tom Caters, every time Tom Caters is doing a podcast, I think it's ridiculously funny. Um, mm-hmm. I have to listen to them in batches. Mm. I don't know why, but I have to be in the right frame of mind for that. Mm-hmm. And so I'll go through like, you know, seven or eight in one sitting. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing, I listen to podcasts when I'm doing stuff, is the other thing. Right. So it's no problem for me to listen to like two hours of a podcast. I wish I could do that. I really do. Because then I'd be able to keep up on this stuff and be like, oh, and you should check out like like Adam Nave, who is friend of the podcast. He's got a podcast yeah, of him soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's great. But see, again, because he's got a viewpoint. Do mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, God, I totally can't remember the name of it. Bill Mudron. I'm going to have to look it up. Bill Mudron has a podcast, which isn't about comics. Well, it's kind of about comics. It's about geekery in general. Um, mm-hmm. He's a Portland guy, and it's I really, really, really like it. And I can't find what the name of the goddamn podcast is. Why are you not telling me what your podcast is? Google, you have utterly failed me. Do you remember the name of the podcast that uh, that Tucker Stone 
Joe McCulloch and Matt Seneca are doing? Because they've got like, I think they just put up their second episode of that. Um, I want to say it's called The Factual Opinion, isn't it? Is it? Is it just The Factual Opinion podcast? That seems like something I... Um, yeah, I, I think that's something uh, you would love. Yeah, it's exactly. Called comic, it's finally called Comic Books Are Burning in Hell. <laughs> See, I knew it had a catchier title. <laughs> comic books are burning in hell over at the factual opinion.com. Uh, people or rather factual opinion.com. People should check it out and let us know what they think. Um, that- okay. I, 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 were we, were we controversial enough? It well, was- we were somewhat controversial. Did you come up with the name of bill? What's his name's? Uh, no, I can't find I've given up. Really? You gave up. Oh, that is I not like you in the internet. I, okay. I've totally given up on the internet. Um, I'm also skipping over Ian Brill's question because it will take too long, and I really want to get further in the questions. Today. Really? See, I think those were okay. good questions. Okay, can you do? Can you pontificate the rates quickly? Yes, very quickly. It is awesome. People should see it. I made comparisons to early John Carpenter. I'm happy to say that I went back and saw it twice. Anyone who has enjoyed movies where people kick one another in the head owe it to themselves to see the raid because it is a very um, smartly elegantly put together movie that kicks one another in the head uh it takes the kind of all out taking it to the limit and then three steps beyond of thai cinema uh recent thai cinema and marries it to sort of a more what i think of quote unquote classical conception of the heyday of the Hong Kong epics of the late eighties, early nineties, the raid redemption might still be in second run movie theaters. Look for it when it comes to DVD, utterly enjoyable and satisfying. Wow. Well done. (laughs) Uh, He also wants to hear me talk more about attending the Portland mayoral debates. Yes. Um, That was really interesting. That really genuinely was interesting because I went in not knowing what to expect and there were three main candidates, Eileen Brady, Jefferson Smith, and Charlie Hales. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I realized really quickly was my bullshitometer is hypersensitive. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Eileen Brady was not giving me any substance. And I Mm. pretty much just stopped paying attention to her as soon as I realized that. Mm. Um, Jefferson Smith spoke as if he had been studying Jed Bartlett out of um, the West Wing. <laughs> and that was a real problem for me to get past because he was right. also saying things that I agreed with, but I really was having a, I can't get over your delivery. I'm having such problems hearing what you're saying because you're saying it in such an overly sincere manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really found the the delivery difficult to cut through, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that was very, very surprising to me. Uh, what do I look for in a candidate? Is his other question. I want someone who's going to basically align with my opinions, but also get shit done. Right. Because uh, the way it actually, because it wasn't just voting for the mayor; it was the primary for lots of elections, and so you're mm-hmm. also voting for uh, city councillors and, and people in other parts of the of city government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a point where I was choosing between someone who is well liked, has experience, but in her experience has not really had any results, mm-hmm. and someone who is hated, mm-hmm. but in their experience gets shit done. Right. 
And I really was like, I think I'm going to go for the person who gets shit done. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to like this person in order right. to vote for them. I'm never going to talk to them. But yeah. if they're going to do things, then I think that's who I'm going to come down on. Well said, Graham. I wish I could say that I'm quite the same way. I probably would be like, oh, but they're really nice. They'll get their act together. I don't know. No, I definitely ha- I had a moment of like, have I chosen wrong? Um, the other <laughs> thing that's really crazy is po- um, Oregon has voting by mail. Oh, nice. You don't go into a booth. So uh, you've often made fun of my neighborhood's dinners that we have here. Yes, yes. We, we went to a neighborhood dinner and we all had our ballots and we literally sat and talked for Oh, my all the God. Oh, this is terrible. Really? <laughs> yes. You guys are like a walkland, walking Portlandia sketch. No, right? Um, but that, yeah, so that was, that was actually great. I loved that. It was really nice hearing what people I respected thought when they disagreed with me, if that makes sense. Right. I, I really, really valued that. I thought that was really, really good. Um, Not like so, you're on the podcast. <laughs> no, here I just hate you. When you're when you disagree with me, you're wrong, Jeff. Come on, <laughs> Terrence. Well, fair enough. I'm moving through these questions, Jeff. We're at one thirty-six. You've got to jump off really soon, and I want to get yes. more than three questions in. I'm definitely with you. Asked really quickly. You're not interrupting. One. Print collections of comics. Have you guys bought any besides Gingerbread Girl? But, uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Oglaf, O-G-L-A-F, which I didn't even know was a webcomic until Lauren Davis gave me the print version of that. I would totally say dash right out and get that. Menage R3, which everyone has heard me talk about ad infinitum here. I've come so close to pulling the trigger and getting a collection of that. In fact, when I was at lunch, my drinky lunch with Lauren Davis today, we spent a certain amount of time talking about whether or not we were going to pick up the Bucko collection uh, or not. Um, that being it's significantly more material. You know that, right? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't so crazy about the material that's already in there. So it's kind of like, uh, do we go for it? Do we not go for it? Um, I don't know. I, I convinced Lauren that what we should do is she and I should like go in on a copy together. Um, but that's probably just so that I could have an excuse to see her for lunch more often. So, um, <laughs> this is a tough, this is a tough question for me. And so I think I will punt it after throwing a couple of, uh, choice gibbets out there before web comics. I'm, I'm normally, I think, would be happy to support if I had fallen in love with any strong enough. Now that I have and that there are ones that I adore, I'm finding myself more reluctant to do so just because I've been moving steadily away from physical collections of books as opposed to digital. Graham? Whereas for me, I really like print collections of webcomics. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. really surprised you didn't mention Kate Beaton. Oh, yeah, Kate Beaton, right, which who I bought, right, I bought two versions. I knew there was somebody really obvious I was overlooking. Um, Octopus Pie, I think the print collection of Octopus Pie is great. And it is, is a very much, good, yeah. It's a very different reading experience from reading it online. I, I, and I think that's what I really like about the print collections. Um, yeah. In almost every example that I've bought a print collection of a webcomic – the format has changed the way I've read it and changed my understanding of the story. Unless it is like Kate Beaton where it's like, you know, three panels done, three panels done, three panels done. When it is a continued narrative, I find it much easier to read. And in fact, I've given up 
some continued narrative web comics uh, because I know there's going to be a print collection and because I know I'm going to buy that print collection. I, f- I find it much more forgiving for the for what is happening. Right. Um, so what do I what do I was it what would you get what would get you to do so extra material excellent physical quality as well as an object art. Um, yeah, both those would be nice. But really, it's it's do I like it's same reason I buy any other comic. Mm-hmm. Do I like the story? Is this going to work for me? Yeah, if I like the story and it's going to work for me these days, honestly, if I can get a digital collection of something like that, I am much quicker. I mean, God only knows if I'm like anyone's ideal audience, but if you put a whole bunch of stuff and call it a digital omnibus and slap it on Comixology, I'm going to stare at it. I mean, God knows I looked at I looked at the digital Red Sonia omnibus number 1 and number two, despite the fact that I didn't really enjoy any of Dynamite's Red Sonia books, I'm like, but surely if I read 30 of them in a row, I would dig them. You know what I mean? So I'm that not smart. So that's what I would say. Terrence also asks, why will no one hire Steve Root? And I have a great answer for this. Ooh, please. Uh, because Kevin Melrose and I were talking about this on Twitter, and we said... Marvel should hire Steve Root to work on Jeff Parker's Hulk. And then Ken Melrose says they should do it for Ed Brubaker's Captain America. And in both cases, they said, we tried, and he said no. Right. Well, I, what happened was... So the answer was, is, why yeah. would hire Steve Root? Steve Root says no. Steve Root says no. It is true. Although I thought that was... I didn't want to be... I, I caught that part of things, and I didn't want to pop the balloon, but because I think Brubaker said something like, he's not interested in doing those characters, or not interested in working for Marvel or something. And I'm like... He was interested in drawing Captain America for Bruce Jones, you know. I mean, but who only knows that? But didn't he do a Captain America miniseries for Bruce Jones, like, way back in the early days of the new Marvel era? Because I bought it and I was pissed off. Wait, why were you pissed off? Because it was Bruce Jones? It was, it was sucked. It was terrible. I mean, yeah, it looked Bruce gorgeous. Jones. I mean, really. Um, I don't know, but apparently he's saying no. Apparently people are... are he says no. Yeah, says exactly. No. Mm-hmm. Um, will we ever see Brendan McCarthy reprint Swimmy Purpose? Likewise, Pope for THB. THB is definitely yes, because I know there's a contract that exists for that. Right. Uh, First Second have, have announced they're doing THB at some point. But he's got to finish Battling Boy, which has been in the works at this point for more than five years. Wow. I, I'm beginning to doubt that Battling Boy will ever come out. Really? Um Battling Boy is First Second just had its like fifth anniversary, and Battling Boy existed before First Second. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I I don't know if it'll ever exist, but yeah, First Second has a contract for THB unless that contract has lapsed, which it may have done. Will we see Brendan McCarthy reprint Spony Purpose? Probably. He just needs to find a publisher. Yeah, Kickstarter that shit. Spony Purpose was awesome. I Actually, Brendan, Brendan McCarthy just needs like. I'd, I'd love so much of his early British stuff to come out. I'd love it if they did a collection of Sony Purpose and the Loaf stuff he did for Deadline, which was awesome. Um, read any good mini-comics lately? Actually, no, Jeff. Uh, uh, pr- Sabretooth Vampire. Yeah, Sabretooth Vampire, which was not especially recent. Uh, oh, no, but there's a new one out. That's that's what just reminded me. Oh, really? Okay. I hadn't, I've read the most recent issue of... Um, the end of the fucking world, which is great. I'm definitely addicted to that. I should be reading more comic mini comics than I do, uh, but I don't. 
Uh, King Cat Comics, whenever I see an issue of that, I will gladly grab it. I'm very sad that Julia Wirtz isn't doing Fart Party because when she was doing those as self-published mini-comics and she was here in San Francisco, we used to get them all the time and I adored them. Uh, Beyond that, no, and I kind of suck because on the one hand, I think the format's really fun and I like being able to talk about this stuff. Um, Oh, and the stuff that uh, looks... God, there's some amazing looking stuff out there. Like um, Tom Neely's Doppelganger is something that I would love to get my hands on. Benjamin Mara's work, which I, even though he's publishing it in full size stuff, I think of his work as like mini comics in some ways uh, and would love to get my hands on that. I don't know. You know, it's funny. It's, it's always like such a weird thing of formatting. Like American Barbarian is like $24 hardcover and yet it feels like a mini comic to me. So, mm. um which is my my way of saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. So. <laughs> um, I know it's hard to comment on now since it's not yet really launched, but it's launched now, Terrence. This is the good thing about us taking forever to answer questions. That's right. Do exactly. you guys have anything to say about Wade's Thrill Bent Collective thingy? Mm-hmm. Do you, um, Jeff? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm sure I'll kibitz when you actually say something about it. It's there. Uh, it's, I, yeah, it's, I thought it's, insufferable was okay, but I, it's too early to really say anything. Uh, I actually reread all of uh, Irredeemable this weekend, right? And and realized that I liked it a lot more when I read it in a oneer. And I really have the feeling that insufferable is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Like I'm reading the individual episodes, and I'm like, huh, okay. But yeah. I'm not. I'm really- not getting into it enough. So. Yeah, I read part one and part two, I think, and I guess they just posted the fourth part yesterday, maybe, right? And third part? After third part, yeah. A- after part two, I was like, oh, this is great. I need to actually let it lie fallow so that I can build up something so that it feels more substantial. Because part one kind of did the trick, sort of, and then part two, even less so. Um, yeah, could the, be the, awesome. the episode length is a problem. Yeah, episode length really is a problem. I think it'll be interesting, especially if they can get more creators in there doing more titles such that there is a, a it feels more like a, a website anthology site where it doesn't where it, it's easier for me to pay attention to the fact that one title seems doesn't have enough to grab me. Yeah, so. I think that's entirely right. And as you know, I know people are working mm-hmm. on additional titles and if they come through, I like Thrill Bent a lot more. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, given that Jeff isn't reading any Marvel right now, what would DC have to do to get him to stop reading them as well? <sighs> Dude, I don't know. I don't know, because there is, I've spent a certain amount of time being like, should I be reading DC? Because again, it's it's one of those deals where I just don't know how shittily they actually honestly treat people, so it's harder for me to be like, Oh yeah, they treat people really shitty, and I shouldn't be reading their books. Like, I definitely am happy to not support uh, before Watchmen, um, and beyond that, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. It's a good question. It's something that I don't really want to consider because there's part of me that weirdly, even though I love Marvel way more than DC, I don't necessarily want to give it up. Yes, I was going to say it's a part of you. It doesn't want to consider. Because you know that you'll talk yourself into stopping. I that could be it. Like if I lay out the case, and then somebody's like, "Well, in fact, Jeff, that's already 
like here's the footage from when they drop bricks on you know kittens heads you know i don't know i mean definitely after reading the amazing you know oral history of countdown uh, dc's countdown to final crisis part of me was like why the fuck do i bother but but Jeff, that like- in the past, that was like three years ago, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's fixed. Yeah, it's all fixed now. No problem, bro. Stop bugging us. Like Tesla got robbed. Uh, you know, and then I read something like Batman Incorporated. Really pretty fucking good. You know, so I I don't know. I don't know. It, it's It's interesting. I definitely know the thing that made me buy Marvel Comics for such a long time is probably the thing that helped drive me away which was my emotional bond to it with dc weirdly enough they would have to they would have to do shit they would have to there would have to be a lot more stories about them treating their creators worse paying their creators like doing a worse job of paying their creators for um reprints and uh you know ancillary merchandise out in the marketplace than they do uh and a few other steps to really get me to that stage where I feel like Marvel's got had a lot of that really well covered. You know, if Charles, if Charles Vest like went on a comics thread at the beat and complained about how, um, one of his books got republished by DC and he didn't even get a contributor copy, then I would be like, you know, much less being paid. Then that would be a time for me to, to wring my hands. Quite part number two of that question. If Graham didn't have to read for work, would he not be reading Marvel right now either? And what would DC have to do to get him to stop? Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't be reading Marvel, but I have to admit that that would probably be disinterest. Mm. More, more mm-hmm. than more than having uh, right. ideological problems with Marvel. The funny thing is, right. I almost feel absolved of the ideological problems because I am so disinterested. It's like, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not reading them anyway. Fuck them. I went through that stage. I was like, well, but the thing is, is I'm just reading them for a job. And that's kind of when I was making noises like, well, so if I just pirate them, problem solved. I'm not enjoying them and I'm not paying for them. It's like I'm not reading them, except I'm allowed to talk about them. But uh, um, what would DC have to do to get me to stop? I think that would be tougher for you, although maybe I'd be wrong. Maybe it wouldn't, wouldn't take that much. I think what I think if DC was Marvel right now, and I mm-hmm. I had the out because mm-hmm. I, I, right now I kind of don't feel like I have the out because I'm writing for Comics Lines and CBR and Newsarama, and I kind of feel like right. I have to know what's going on. Um, right. Yeah, I, I I am I am to DC what you are to Marvel. So mm-hmm. if if I thought the DC was really really fucking up creators, mm-hmm. and not just really fucking up. Alan Moore. Right. Um, exactly. I, I would have the sense of betrayal that I think drove you from Marvel. Yeah. Well, and it is one of those things that definitely, I'm kind of glad that OMAC got canceled because after the whole Chris Robertson thing, I was like, huh, Dan Dio, I don't like you. You know what I mean? It would be a little harder for me to like keep be, picking up his book and going, oh, this guy who like totally fired Chris Robertson for, you know, and called it a morale problem. Ah, I don't like him anymore. And similarly, Jim Lee, I don't really think Jim Lee's doing much. He's never been necessarily, he's a weird draw for me and that, you know, he was on like hush and stuff like that. But considering how I jumped off justice league before, after the first issue, he's clearly not that much of a draw for me. So 
It's interesting that I would be more willing to to take my to to hold their views against them rather than against the DC entity overall. Yeah. Weirdly enough. Yeah. So. Hey, and he thanks us for being awesome, which thank you, Terrence, because you're awesome. Yes, and I'm not sure that we are awesome. That's not true. You're awesome, Jeff. I'm not sure that I am awesome. I'm a huge blowhard, Graham, and I had too much to drink at lunch today, so I definitely... <laughs> That's I what definitely I like. Disagree. I like you mentioned that like four times. <laughs> it's well, like, I feel like we should, get, we should get Jeff horrifically drunk for every podcast. Oh, God. You know, it would be both great and terrible. I, I mean, because, I, I don't know, listening to these podcasts, I'm like, I need like a little timer that I put on the wall so that after two minutes on any given topic, I just shut up so that you can talk. Because let's face it, Graham, Ding. you're delightful and far <laughs> too polite. <laughs> I love that. And I'll shut up now. All right. Uh, do you think we can get through this cast stuff? Or I guess yes, we should... let's go. Because the last oh. number five is worth it. Number five is a great place to end. <laughs> okay. Uh, do I read these? I'll read these. Yes. Cass asks, one, are you reading Bulletproof Coffin? And if so, what are your thoughts? It may not quite reach Glamour Post levels of weirdness, but man, is it a fascinating thing. I am reading. I like it. Uh, you know what it really is? It really makes me wish that Shaky Kane was doing his own comics. Mm. Isn't he doing his own comics? Well, it, it's, but David Hayden writes. Um, but, oh, I see. Uh, like, I, I, so w- I wish that he was writing and drawing because I remember him in Deadline and I kind of sense that all of the stuff I really like about Pillar Pro Coffin is Shaky mm. Kane. <laughs> um, because it, I, if if you're able to track down his his solo stuff, uh, you really should. If you like Bulletproof Coffin, you owe it to yourself to track down Shaky Kane solo stuff. Right. What about you? You reading? You liking? I have a horrible confession to make, which is that I think I got three issues into the first Bulletproof mini and then didn't read the last one or two issues and haven't been back for the sequel. So now disinterest or just. Like, yeah, I didn't. Like, I didn't think it was bad per se. At first, I thought that it was actually really kind of fun and great. But then, mm, I felt I felt the tugging of that little generational gap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of feel like, and this is going to be utterly, utterly pooed roundly by everyone on the internet, and probably should. But I kind of feel that like. For people who are too young to have been reading Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol when it was coming out monthly on the stands, this is their opportunity to do so with Bulletproof Coffin. You know what I mean? Um, oh, see that? No, that's that's Jonathan Hickman's entire career. Come on, this. <laughs> well, certainly Hickman, but no, I don't know. I mean, that's my thing. I got from Bulletproof Coffin is is like I in. I enjoyed it, but I didn't feel like between the levels of strangeness and meta commentary that I wasn't getting anything that I wasn't getting in the early days of Vertigo, which, again, a lot of people have told me they weren't around for or have hunted up in collection. Or, for example, if I'd never read The Enigma, I think I would be all over Bulletproof Coffin. But uh, having read The Enigma, I think Bulletproof Coffin, at least those first three issues... I kind of was like, I'm not sure if they're bringing me anything new other than in some ways it looks lovelier and reads clumsier. You know? I, I will say this. I don't think there's any need for a second series. Yeah. I, I, I think it was done. Uh-huh. So you're yeah, saying I, Bulletproof Coffin Disinterred is not 
bring in anything new to the table per se. Pretty much. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel it was I, I think I don't think it was a well that you should return to. Mm-hmm. So so there yeah. you go. Uh That's question it. number two. And sorry this was so dismissive, by the way, Cass. I really wish that I had read more of it because it sounds like you think it's awesome. I should go back, dig up my old issues, and maybe pick up the few last issues digitally and check it out. So, <clears throat> Two, how awesome is the Mindless Ones podcast? Or, I guess to be objective, yes. What do you think of their podcast on a scale of great to awesome? <laughs> that, that's, like that's a great approach? question. It's awesome. Isn't that a great Actually, question? I, yeah. I completely forgot to mention it before. I really like the Mindless Ones podcast, but it's not one I listen to regularly. Oh, interesting. Um, I, it's one I re- like um, the Tom Cater stuff. One that I really mm-hmm. go in and out of. But then when I'm in, I'm like, I'm listening to 17 episodes in a row. Right, which is always nice. Um, do you like their structured approach, Graham? Yes. I, I, I always feel jealous about the structure. I always feel jealous about structured approach in general. Like I listen to how it's astonish. I know and they've I'm got like, their shit so together. I know don't exactly, they? and you're like, like oh. why, can we, why can we never do that? <laughs> we never can. We can't even get close, which uh, lends us our charm, I guess. But I appreciate the fact that you and I are both somewhat humiliated about that in the same way. Uh, will we be seeing theme songs from you guys as the mindless ones have? Uh, now that the title of the bomb diggiest uh, podcast is in contest, I was kind of, I don't know. What do you think, Graham? I would love to have you do another theme song myself, but whereas I was going to be like, no, they can totally have the title of bomb diggiest. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. How I've coveted that title. Uh, okay. Well, I do think for, and it's a shame because I'm always like, I know a certain thing about music. And then I have, the few times I've tried to open up GarageBand on like the iPad, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I don't think that I'll. But that's be able to that's the best part. But I'd love to. just like I'm yeah. making crazy things. Well, that would be great. I just unfortunately with the iPad one, it's like I don't know how to save this crazy thing. <laughs> that, uh, that is that is relatively true. The iPad one for some reason is nowhere near as intuitive, or at least for me, it's the one on the machine. Oh, God, yeah. So I'm really looking forward. I should I should buckle down and check out that one and see what happens. Thoughts on Sheila LaBeouf's comics? Thoughts on online commentary of Sheila LaBeouf's comics, e.g. Sean Collins' piece? Um, Graham? I don't like Shia LaBeouf's comics. Sorry. Um, I'm not sure what the, the following thing is asking. I guess because Sean thought they were great and everyone else thought they were shit. I, something very I, close I, to that. Sean was a very, was a very strong defender and uh, vociferous proponent of them. I am inclined to agree. I mean, the trick is, as anyone who's read my reviews and or has listened to this podcast knows, I'm kind of a stickler for price points. So I thought there's nothing inherently wrong with Shia's uh Mini comics? I really don't. I think that they're potentially kind of interesting. Um, they're just the ones that I saw. I think were priced at eight bucks, and really should have been considering the format maybe four. And I still would have bitched about it, frankly. Um, I I think that uh, I think it's interesting that he's got some stuff going on there, and I don't think that it was totally worth writing off. I think that some of it was kind of an interesting. Um, had interesting potential, but um, you know, 
Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's like, I don't begrudge him doing them. I just have no interest right. in reading them. Yeah, so, well, I have I would have interest reading them, just not necessarily for that price point. Because I, I picked up the first one and flipped it flipped through it when uh, Hibbs actually had some some copies at Comics Experience. And my take on it was it was big enough that I couldn't read it all in one flip through, but I was not going to invest the money at that price point to take it home and see if it was worth reading. So, so yeah. So it could be awesome. I wouldn't know, unfortunately, at that point. <laughs> I suspect not at that price point, but I think that he's got some potential, and I'm not willing to just write him off out of hand. So, oh, oh, great! This is going to be perfect considering we have like two and a half minutes left. I'm going to be that guy <laughs> and repose a question that was skipped last time because I think we're going to skip it now. Be we are, aren't we? <laughs> because I think it's an interesting. No, no, topic. I, don't, I, I will do it really quickly. I'll do it really quickly. Okay, what do you think of introductions and comics collections? Favorites, least favorites, etc. What's that? I'm in favor. I'm saying thumbs up to introductions and comic collections. Oh man. Okay. Let's just come back. Cass, we're gonna we're gonna leave you in mid and what? we'll come back and do the rest of this next time. Oh, it's not Jeff fair. Weber. Don't you think? I think that's fair. We'll do three of these now. It's uh, do the last two later. No, you have to do the fifth one. You have to do the fifth one. Oh all right. Do we go through the f- we'll power through the fourth one and totally burn everybody then? No, so no, no. Oh, do the fifth one. Just do the fifth okay. one and then we'll come back and do the fourth one next week. Can Jeff describe more things as chill? I have it's to get yes more or no question, Jeff. Come on. No, no, I haven't. I keep on. No, it's like my Alan Moore imitation. I'm always like, this is gold. And then it just never feels listeners. I can never be disingenuous with you. That's my, that is both my strength and my That's horrific fatal flaw. The Jeff Lester promise until I break it, because let's face it, I'm not going to stick to something I don't believe in. Uh, but I will try. I will try. No, I, yeah, no, I just, I love, I, I actually enjoyed it at the moment. I was delighted by Graham's reaction and everyone else's reaction to it. But yeah, it's, if I was smart, I would be watching uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang over and over again to perfect my Alan Moore imitation and listening to like the best of MTV, Yo MTV rap so I could describe everything in its appropriate chiltastic context, but I'm not. See, even just saying chiltastic makes me smile. <laughs> what? You uh, have Graham. more of it. It's that simple. Yes, apparently. It's, it's, it, I still have the don't, power. Don't let the kids down. Don't let them down. Right. Okay. That's easily said. Do I have to do more of it now or can we actually can, – can No, no, actually... just in future. In future, okay. just okay. describe okay. more things as chill. Okay, because you're like, come on. I'm like, oh, man, I got to do it no, now. I, I, just, I just wanted a yes or no question so that in future – we can look forward to you describing more things as chill. Okay, we do. We can and I will. That is the Jeff Lester promise. Bank on it. <laughs> wow, that was great. Bank on it. This is when your three beers for lunch is beginning to take you into the down spiral. Isn't it? it is true. Like, by, if we were going for our 20 minutes, it'd be like, Graham, who cares? Stop reading that. <laughs> exactly. I can't go on. Let's, I can't. Let's just, just, I just need to sleep. Okay, I'm just, just going to take a little nap while you just, <laughs> you just answer the next few questions and wake me up when it's my turn to talk. I just uh, – God. The best part is you, you have to go out and have dinner now. I know. You know and I drive – Because you don't want to do anything or will give you the energy to have complete the day. 
We'll see, but you're absolutely right. Given my druthers, I'm like, if it wasn't for the fact they're going to bill me for this fucking meal, whether I show up or not, uh, because it's it's because it's a once a year type phenomenon. Yeah, I got to get my ass out the door. God damn them. So, uh, listeners, next time when we talk, we'll answer more of these questions. Graham and I will probably read one more comic, and, <laughs> and you'll be able to hear about we my adventures. Eating. We we got like ten questions. See, there we go. You're right. We're pretty close. Which is pretty good. Come on. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. If it hadn't been for Slave Master McMillan, we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have gotten nearly so close. So thank you, Graham. The irony being, this is actually one week where I could have gone longer. <laughs> God, uh, you're always know, about the ironic that, salting that, of the wounds. Uh. Next week. Next week. Yes, next week. We can both go week. longer. Yeah, yeah, let's try and do like a super-sized one just to finish these questions. Okay, that sounds fantastic. It'll be our Marvel Two and One annual number two. What what's the one with the the, the wrap up to the Thanos warlock? Oh, I have I have absolutely no idea. Ah, you see Marvel Two and One, and pretty much I just think of the one where the thing fights the thing, <laughs> and then he goes back and meets Ben Grimm after curing him of being the thing, and the world's fucked. <laughs> It's so deep, Jeff. It is. It's lovely. As as only manic depressive John Byrne could have crafted. I'm assuming that's a Byrne story? It, of course it's a Byrne story. Okay, just checking. It sounds right. Uh, anyway, yes. Listeners, thanks very much for suffering through another episode of Wait Was. The podcast <laughs> starts in one direction and might get there, but will take five weeks and meanders fuckload along the way. That's our new tagline, people. Look for it on shirts. Perfect. Perfect.